The Medallion, Chapter 48 Corvin had just pushed the secret passage door back into place when the crack along the edge lit in a narrow beam of light. Gavin tried to pull him down the stairs, but Corvin shook his hand loose and put his eye to the thin slice of light. Jorid was inside the tomb, covering Kate's body with a black shroud. Gavin crowded in below Corvin and pressed his ear to the door. Jorid called out, and two men entered the tomb. One set a crude stretcher on the ground and then helped his companion lift Kate onto it. We will take her through the alleys, Jorid said. We must hide her from the rebel leader. We have reports that he wants to take her body back to their city. You already said that more than once, one of the men growled. He glared at Jorid, and the torchlight caught the ragged edge of a scar that raked across his forehead and nose. What you haven't said is where we're taking her. We are taking her where no one would think of looking for her. Quit talking in riddles. How far do we need to carry her? The man bent down and grasped the handles of the litter. To the portal door. The handles dropped back to the floor and Corvin winced at the thud of Kate's body against the stone. That's a steep climb, and I didn't sign up to cross the water. Then I will double your pay, Jorid said. The scar-faced man looked at his companion who nodded his agreement. Half now, and we're not going past that door. I have no desire to see a burek up close. You won't have to, Jorid said. He pulled out a pouch and put it into the man's outstretched hand. They don't come near the door. But if you want the rest of your pay, you will need to put her inside the door. I've just finished my purification rites and I can't touch a dead body. The man grunted. All right, but just pass the door, then we leave. Now let's get moving. I want to get this over with. The men lifted Kate off the ground. Good thing there's not much to her. The other man quipped as they headed out the front door. George paused to check a knife strapped to his forearm as he pulled the door shut behind him. Gavin pushed his way past Corvin into the crypt and trotted over to the front door and eased it partly open. He peered out, then disappeared into the night. Corvin ran from the tomb to catch up with him. The men carrying Kate were just inside the main part of the cemetery. All they had to do was look back and they would see Gavin, but the boy did not seem concerned. He followed nonchalantly behind and Corvin couldn't do anything but chase after him as quietly as possible. The litter bearers and Jorad headed straight toward the city, but Gavin veered off into a narrow alley between the crypts and put on a burst of speed. Corvin slowed and looked toward Jorad and the men. How could he leave her now? And where was Gavin going? Did the boy even understand that he needed to rescue her? Gavin stopped, nodding furiously and motioning for Corvin to follow. There was no other choice. Gavin waited until he caught up, squeezed Corvin's hand, and then took off again. Corvin had to run flat out to keep him in sight as the small shadow tore on ahead. Soon Corvin's side ached and his breath came in gasps, but still the boy ran on toward the far side of the crypts. He disappeared around a corner, and by the time Corvin arrived he was nowhere in sight. Muttering to himself, Corvin leaned in to search along the top of the crypts. A sharp yank on his foot sent him sprawling to the ground. Gavin grinned at him from a hole beneath a plain low crypt and vanished. Corvin followed him down into the hole, through a tight tunnel, and then popped up in a back alley just outside the cemetery walls. Gavin pointed ahead to the high wall of the cavern and the serpentine path that led up to the portal. Corvin nodded. The boy was racing in order to get there ahead of Jorid. Getting to his feet, Corvin fell back against the wall, put his hands on knees and bent over. His stomach rolled as his legs began to shake uncontrollably. Gavin's hand appeared under his nose, his fingers glowing pink from the light trapped inside. Smiling, 
He opened his hand, and the intense light of a small lumion leapt from his palm. It was different than anything Corbin had seen so far. He took it from Gavin and held it close. Its vibrant pink skin felt fuzzy, like a fresh-picked peach. Did you grow this one in your garden room? Gavin mimed eating it, making loud smacking noises with his lips. Corbin took a small bite, and a spicy nectar tickled his throat and made him cough. This was no ordinary fruit. It was much more potent. Immediately the ache in his side dulled and his legs stopped shaking. He took another bite, rolled the Lumian's tangy strands around in his mouth and swallowed. Juice trickled off the fruit in his hand, and Gavin caught the drops on the tips of his fingers, licking them off and lifting his fingers up in the air like a simple prayer of thankfulness. Corvin put the last of the Lumian into his mouth and sucked the fruit off the seed. The seed's tip touched his tongue, and every cell of his body instantly desired the power within it. He closed his eyes and deliberately pushed the seed into the side of his mouth. Whatever this new Lumian was, the gatekeeper's treatments were not able to combat this craving. His teeth gripped the seed as he worked it forward in his mouth. He desperately wanted to crack it open, but if he did... At a touch on his cheek, he opened his eyes and looked into Gavin's concerned face. Gavin's hand was open under Corvin's mouth, and he waited until Corvin spit the seed out. The boy's smile returned as he placed the seed into the pouch at his waist. Grabbing Corvin's hand, he pulled him to his feet and took off running again. With the new Lumian fruit in his belly, there was no problem keeping up with Gavin, and soon they were past the city wall, over the bridge, and climbing the steep switchbacks up to the side of the cavern. Gavin kept glancing toward the city and suddenly dropped into the rocky groove of the pathway. Corvin did the same, joining Gavin at the lip of the rock wall that ran along the path. Far below them, Jordan and his men were making their way across the bridge. Gavin waited until the men started on the first leg of the winding path and then got to his feet and trotted ahead, hugging the inside of the path so they could not be seen from below. They rapidly ascended the remaining switchbacks, racing around the last corner to the ledge just outside the portal door. Corvin's heart dropped. There was nowhere to hide while they waited for George to arrive and open the door. They were trapped. Grabbing Gavin's shoulder, he waved his hand around the ledge. The boy's eyes widened, then he put a finger to his cheek as if deep in thought and made a grand aha gesture in the air and pulled out a bundle of short sticks from within his tunic. Corvin looked at him blankly. Gavin smiled and fit the sticks together until he was holding a tube with various notches in its surface. He held it up for Corvin to inspect. What is it? Corvin whispered, worried that his voice would carry over the edge to the men below. Gavin beckoned for him to follow and ran to the portal door. He inserted his tube made of sticks into the keyhole and began to twist it back and forth while he slid the pieces in and out. A key? The boy nodded and he went back to his work. Can it open any door? Gavin nodded once, then shook his head. He slid one section of the key in further and twisted. Nothing happened, so he moved a few others and tried again. Now he was concentrating hard, his forehead wrinkled and sweaty. We don't have much time, Corvin whispered. Gavin shot him a glance that said, be quiet so I can work, and Corvin crossed back to the ledge to check the path. The men were approaching the final switchback. He ran back to the door. Gavin's hands shook as he manipulated the sticks. Don't stop now. We're almost there. Corvin heard George's voice beyond the corner as three clicks sounded behind him. He whirled about. The door hung open and Gavin was standing with his key held overhead in victory. Corvin ran at him, grabbed his arm and pulled him past the door, pushing it shut behind him. The bolts shot home and Corvin winced at the sound. They stood, hand in hand, staring at the keyhole and listening until it winked and went dark. 
This time it was Gavin who moved first, dragging him up the incline by the light of the purple moss. They dove in behind the first of the boulders along the path as the door was thrown wide, silhouetting the figures of the three men against the blue Lumian light. Just inside, and no further, said the scar-faced man. You need to put her over by the wall, George said. I can't shut the door with the body in the way. The men entered the tunnel, the whites of their eyes glistening as they stared into the darkness where Corvin and Gavin were hiding. Gavin elbowed Corvin's side. The boy picked up two rocks and showed Corvin to bang them together and make a noise as he mimed a large animal. Corvin stooped down and felt around his feet, but only came up with one. At least he could screech like a burak. He knew that sound well enough. He straightened and looked over the rock. The men were clear of the door, and Jorid had backed away to pull it closed. Corvin let out his best burak scream and began to scrape his rock along the border. Gavin beat his rocks together and grunted. The two men dropped their burden, tripping over each other as they ran out the door and knocked Jorid to the ground. The priest scrambled to his feet. Corvin screeched again and Jorid stopped, looking toward them with a puzzled expression on his face. Corvin's Burak speech was not real enough. Jorid must have heard one up close before. He was about to try again when a loud screech filled the tunnel. This time Jorid jumped back and pulled the door shut, plunging the cave into darkness. That was amazing, Gavin, Corvin said turning to look at the boy. Gavin's eyes were as big as saucers. He shoved Corvin forward as another screech blasted down from behind them. Corvin tore back down the incline toward the portal door, and Gavin raced past him, fumbling frantically with his sticks. Corvin caught up to him at the door and whirled about. He stared up the slope until his eyes watered, but nothing moved. Other than the clicking and twisting of Gavin's key, the tunnel was silent. Three loud clicks were followed by Gavin's sigh of relief. The boy slid the key out of the hole, but three more clicks echoed in the tunnel. The door had locked again. A low growl rumbled off the rock walls. Corvin whipped about. A shadow loomed on the pathway, and the face of a great beast emerged into the glow of the purple moss. It was larger than the one that attacked Terran, its bulk filling the cavern as it stalked towards them. The beast was close enough now for them to smell its putrid breath and to see the mottled coloring of the huge eyes. It came closer opened a mouthful of jagged teeth to roar, then stopped. The great head rolled to one side, its eyes focusing on Kate laying against the wall. Leave her alone, Corvin hollered. Deborah ignored him and lowered its head toward Kate. Corvin leapt forward and waved his hands over his head. Go away, he shouted, but Deborah kept studying her. Corvin was about to charge the creature when Gavin grabbed his leg and pulled him back pointing at the brook's face and tracing lines from his own eyes. Corvin looked closer. Gavin was right. The creature's eyes were full of tears. It tipped its head back as if to roar, but a heart-rending groan of sorrow fell around them. Before Corvin could stop him, Gavin ran directly under the brook's head. Reaching up, he gave the animal a hug, almost disappearing into the leathery folds around its neck. The brook backed slowly away until Gavin appeared again, stroking the broad nose and humming. The beast and the boy stood face to face, Gavin looking into one large eye and making clicking noises with his mouth and tongue. The head of the animal bobbed, then it ambled away up the tunnel. Gavin waved Corvin over, bent down to pick up the front of the litter, and Corvin grabbed the poles at Kate's feet. What was happening? The burrick stopped, looked back over his shoulder and shuffled away. Gavin pulled on the poles and they followed in its wake. Corvin watched over Gavin's head as they caught up with the huge shadow. 
The boy was carrying the litter with ease. If they could escape the Burak, the two of them could carry Kate all the way to the surface. The old man in the chamber said he could track the medallion inside the core, so his power must end at the limits of the core shield. Perhaps, if they removed Kate's body from the core, her spirit might be pulled from the clutches of the old man. Ahead, Corvin caught a glimpse of Kate's white runners perched on top of a rock. They were headed in the right direction, but the Burak left the main path and turned into a tunnel that led up to where Corvin and Sark first squeezed past the core shield. Corvin pushed hard on the poles, trying to drive Gavin straight ahead toward the labyrinth, but the boy turned to follow the Burak. Gavin, he whispered, go straight. It's the way back home. The boy shook his head and trotted around the corner. Corvin pulled back on the litter, but Gavin pulled so hard he almost took the poles out of Corvin's hands. Corvin fell in behind him. Since Gavin was so adamant about going this way, he needed to follow. Zark said the boy could communicate in the language of the animals. There must be a good reason they were following the beast. Further along, the Buruk veered off into an even smaller tunnel that the animal could barely squeeze its bulk through. Small rocks fell from the ceiling as it scraped along. Finally, the tunnel opened up, and they emerged into a rounded cavern. The Buruk moved off to one side, its head swaying from them to the other side of the room, where an opening, barely large enough for a person, beckoned. Gavin clicked a message to the beast and pulled Corvin past its bulk. As they left it behind and entered the smaller tunnel, the animal gave a long groan, as if to urge them forward. The trail grew even smaller and twisted back and forth in itself on a downward spiral. "'Where are we going?' Corvin said. Gavin plodded on. "'Are we going toward the falls?' The boy nodded. Corvin's heart sank. The Buruk sensed that Kate was still alive, and it was directing them back to Kadir where they could still find some help. But that was the wrong direction. They needed to go upward if they were to take Kate out of the core and retrieve the scepter. Gavin stopped. The tunnel ahead had caved in. It was a dead end. Gavin set his end of the litter down on a rectangular block of stone set into the alcove in the side of the wall. Corvin did the same. There was something familiar about the look of this place. The rounded roof that cupped the table made the space more like a room than a natural part of the tunnel. Gavin let out a chirp of delight as he pointed to the wall in front of him and tugged out his sticks. In a knob of rock at the base of the wall was a perfectly round hole. As Gavin assembled his key, Corvin knelt to examine the hole. How could this be a keyhole when there was no door? Gavin hip-checked him out of the way, inserted his skeleton key into the hole and began manipulating the pieces. Corvin watched him try unsuccessfully for a few minutes before sitting on the edge of the stone block next to Kate. Her face was deathly gray. He should have taken charge and made Gavin listen to him instead of following the burak. The clicking stopped, and Gavin cried out as the floor shuddered beneath their feet and the room spun around, sending Corvin sprawling to the floor. Rolling over, he looked up into the wide-eyed face of Sarah.